welcome to the Business Success Club. I want to say welcome, and you are in for a treat in this group. Hey, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And on this podcast, what we really want to establish is this. How do hardworking entrepreneurs build profitable and scalable businesses whilst having the freedom and balance to do the other things they love? like family, vacations, sports, fun, adventures, and charity. So let's tune into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business Success Show with your business coach, Mac Atram. And today you are in for a treat because I have none other than Shah Wasman, MBE, and she has been. Let me tell you a little bit about Shah. She has been an entrepreneur for over 20 years in various fields. Now, at the tender age of 21, she was the youngest licensed female boxing manager in the world, working with, listen, remember, Mr. Chris Eubanks, super middleweight champion. That's who she was working with. She went on to set up her own PR agency, and one of her clients was James Dyson. Do you remember Dyson, who took over the name Hoover? Now we say a Dyson. Now, the Dyson company, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar company. She helped uh, uh, James Dyson from the kitchen table and build that, help build that brand, which is fantastic. She's operated multiple businesses. In 2015, which is only seven years ago, she was given an MBE by the Queen of England um, for services to business and entrepreneurship because she's dedicated her time, energy and attention helping small business owners just like you. And you know what the proudest thing was? I let her tell us, let me tell you, and she can jump in as well. Being able to take her grandmother to the palace. That was 100%. Not, not just the medal. <laughs> yeah, honestly, that was, that was for me. So my nan grew up really poor. She grew up during oh. the war period. And, you know, my nan had never even left the country until she was 60 and never owned her own home. Um, and... Her going to Buckingham Palace was probably like she probably thought she had, you know, more chance of meeting ET than she did the Queen. And so, yeah, so honestly, it was it. I was so much happier that I got to take her with me than I was about the medal itself. And I don't want that to sound really disingenuous or like some faux humility. Right. Of course, I'm proud about getting the MBE, yes. but actually, it was being able to share that with my nan, who, by the way, next Friday is 97 years my old, goodness. and she's still getting on a plane and flying out to Lanzarote where my mum's got a place now and, and, and having holidays at 97 and her whole attitude to life, Mac is something I think that all of us, myself included can learn from. And, and her attitude is really simple. Her attitude is as long as I'm alive, I'm here to live. You live I'm not here absolutely. to be dying. I'm here to be living. Which is fantastic. Maybe that's where it's brushed off on you with all your energy that you go, 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 go. And just, helping people and living life. Fantastic. Good on you. Now, before I finish introducing you to Shah, she's an author of four books, you must understand, and also helping people to launch their businesses online. Uh, so with no further ado, Shah, hey, listen, she, she has been named as one of the UK's top 20 most influential entrepreneurs by the Sunday Times and also one of the most influential women in the UK by the Institutes of Directors, both very established institutions. So over to Shah. Shah, usually I like to start off with, tell us a little bit about your backstory as an entrepreneur. What's the history? How did you get to do what you're doing? Uh, what led to all of this? 
So I think probably like a lot of entrepreneurs, I started off really poor. I don't know if you've, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Viola Davis's new book or you've listened to her interview on Oprah. And if you haven't, you absolutely should do. So Viola Davis, uh, an American actress, absolutely phenomenal. And she was telling her story to Oprah and she, she was saying, you know, there's poor and then there's po, like you're really, oh. really poor, right? Right. And Oprah was saying, yeah, well, when I read about you, Viola, I thought we were poor, but we weren't really poor, right? And I was kind of in, bet in between Viola poor and Oprah poor. Like, we didn't have rats, but we lived in a hostel for homeless families. So that's poorer than poor, right? That in that's, London. Not, that's not, I grew up poor. I grew up on a council estate. That's, I grew up poor. And we had nowhere to live. And we lived in a hostel. And after the hostel, we were housed on a council estate. Right. And I spent my whole life... Um, you know, growing up in social housing, you know, that was my background. That was my childhood. We didn't have any money. Was that and in London? Where was that? In Hertfordshire, just outside Hertfordshire. Of Hertfordshire. So I was actually born in California. I was born in California and um, my parents had a really acrimonious divorce. My, my dad, truthfully, was an absolute dickhead. Um, and when my parents divorced, he left us with nothing, absolutely nothing. We were his only kids. And he didn't really care what happened to us. Um, he had a huge cocaine addiction. Ironically, I've never smoked, drank alcohol or taken any drugs in my life. And I think a lot of this is because of how I grew up. Right. And I saw what those things could do to people. And, you know, we, we came back to the UK when I was just before I went to secondary school. And that was a really, really hard time for me because, you know, um, I had an American accent. I was probably about 20, 30 pounds overweight because I'd grown up on like my mom trying to juggle three different jobs and eating McDonald's, you know, every night of the week. And then I came back to this country and we had, I had to try to find friends, but I couldn't tell them where I lived because I, li I was so ashamed that I lived in a hostel. And so I'm not going to lie. It was, it was genuinely really, really tough, but I also think that that was the making of me. You know, I remember one time when my mom said to me, I want you to take a really good look around you, Shaw. And we lived in like a, a 10 foot by nine foot, kind of like a box room, box. literally a box with me, wow. my mom and my brother. And um, we shared a kitchen and a bathroom with five other families. And she said, I never want you to be afraid of taking risks because you will never, ever get back here. And that has stood with me, you know, today, you know, without bragging and sounding like a, a, a twat, you know, I, I live in a beautiful multi-million pound house on Royal Greenwich Park. I've got another multi-million pound house on the Kent coast. I spend four weeks a year in, at Sandy Lanes in Barbados. And I share these things for context, right? So I've gone from nothing to being very comfortably well off, but I'm going to tell you straight that there is a challenge to that too when you're a parent. So what I've noticed is that my son, he's a great kid, but he doesn't have my work ethic, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's because I fought so hard to give him the stability that I didn't have. I had to go to work at 13 because if I didn't go to work at 13, I had zero money. I had no clothes. I would have nothing. Now, my son, Jet, he's not materialistic. He's not asking for Balenciaga trainers like some of his friends. I'm like, are these parents crazy spending 600 pounds on a pair of Balenciaga? Anyway, that's a whole different conversation. He doesn't get any of that. And he doesn't ask for it, but equally, because he hasn't got the, he hasn't had to have the struggle, he doesn't have the struggle, right? Now, so you've got to hope as a parent that we get to find the balance between providing for our kids in a way that we were never provided for, but still trying to instill in them the work ethic, 
then nothing's going to, you know, I say to my son all the time, let's just be really clear how life is going to work after you finish education. I am not paying for you. So this is how it works. If you want a car, every penny, every pound that you save, I'll match it. You want a house, every pound and penny you save, I'll match it. Mm -hmm. I am not writing a check for anything but I will match whatever you do. Well, otherwise you're setting them up to fail if you give them everything. And I say that so that my you, same thing as to my three kids. You've got to find your way. We will help you. Me and your mum, we will help you, but you've got to find your way and we're willing to do that. So tell me something. Age of 13, what was the first business you went into? What were you selling? Because business is about selling something. <laughs> So I was not selling a business at 13. Do you know what I was doing? I was doing something so batshit crazy. I have really bad asthma, right? So I'm allergic to dogs, cats, rabbits, horses. I'm allergic to everything. And I, but I really wanted to learn how to horse ride. And obviously we couldn't afford lessons. So I started working at 13, cleaning out stables Mm. at the local like horse riding place. And I would come back at the end of the day, I'd get free lessons and I'd get paid maybe 10 pounds for the day. I would have welts all over my neck. I'd be, I'd be scratching my face, scratching my neck. I could hardly breathe. I was taking my asthma pump every five minutes, but I was so determined. Like, right, right. I think that's where my, my tenacity kicked in, right? Like I was like, I'm not going to let this, I want to ride a horse. I don't have the money. I'm going to clean out the stables. I'm going to suck it up. I'm not going to die. I'm going to be okay. And I'm just going to get through it. And, and honestly, that level of resilience does you well yes, in life. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you worked, obviously you're selling your time. You did a good job. They liked it. They pay you. Uh, what was the first entrepreneurial um, thing you went into then? What did you set up? What was the, what was the business? Okay. So if probably before it was an actual business, the first entrepreneurial thing I did was, um, at this very point, my son is doing his GCSEs. And uh, so he won't listen to this. So he won't hear what I'm about to say. But <laughs> I remember when I was doing my GCSEs, I really didn't like school at that point in time. And I, I truthfully wasn't very present. And the subjects that I liked, I loved history. I loved English. And I was absolutely brilliant, like top of the year, 98%. No one could touch me. But the subjects I didn't like, I couldn't be bothered to make any effort. And that's a bad trait, right? I've grown out of that. I've matured. I, you know, I know how to handle that now. But when I was a teenager, I was like, I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. Like really like it was black and white for me. Mm. And I realized I was going to get into trouble because I was going to fail exams. And so the first entrepreneurial thing I did was just before we had to hand in our English coursework, I went to the person who was the best in geography, the person who was best in chemistry, all the exams I had to take where I paid no attention. And I did a deal with them. I would write their English essay, their coursework essay, if they would give me all of their notes for the year. And then I would go and photocopy them, right? So I spent all the money at that point, I was working in a shop on a Saturday, spent all my Saturday money photocopying notes from other kids. And I would guarantee them an A. So I literally, probably out of my English class, I probably wrote eight to 10 of their essays for their final essays. I wrote them because I knew I'd get, they knew I'd get, I never got anything less than an A. So we knew that we had a benchmark to work with. So that was probably my first entrepreneurial where I saw, okay, you guys have got something and I need it. And I got something and you need it. So let's swap. And well, see so we suddenly the, your, your ability to collaborate without knowing you're collaborating and joint venturing just yeah. kicked off. They want something. I've got it. I want something. They've got it. Let's make this happen. 
Exactly. You know, my, my motto today is compete with yourself and collaborate with others. That's how Absolutely. it should be. The only person you should ever be competing with is yourself. And you should yeah. always be looking at how you can collaborate with others. But my first real, real business was probably like, when I started working with Eubank, that wasn't a, officially a business. I was literally working for him. So it's probably okay. the only job I've ever had. Yeah. But that was because I'd, I'd won a competition whilst at LSE, the London School of Economics. I was doing an economics degree. Everybody around me wanted to go and work in the city work for JP Morgan and Citibank. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? I don't want to do any of this stuff. Why am I here? Mm -hmm. And then I won this competition to write for Cosmopolitan magazine. And to cut a very long story short, I ended up interviewing Chris Eubank and he ended up offering me a job. And I, I know I'm like making it all sound super easy, which it wasn't, but I just said yes, because I really didn't know what I was, I didn't even know what the job was, right? Yeah. And then um, <laughs> literally the next day, so I met him one day and got home and he'd left me a message on my answer machine because he'd taken my number and he told me that I had to be at Gatwick Airport at 8.30 the next morning and to take a bag because I wouldn't be back for two days. I was like, what, wow. the, what, <laughs> what, am, I, what am I doing? Where am I going? And it turned out we got on a plane. We went to Old Trafford in Manchester um, and we started planning Ben Eubank 2, which at the time and for many, many, many years, since, it was the biggest fight that had ever taken place in the UK. Yeah, that was that was that was momentous. I mean, that was monumental that I remember yeah. that fight. Um, well, well done you. And um, so that led you to did you set up your own PR agency directly after that or did you? I did. So when when Chris retired. Uh, the first time I thought, right, I'm going to, and this is actually also my biggest regret, Max. So hmm. at the time when he retired, I thought, okay, now I need to figure out what I'm going to do. So I'm going to go and set up a PR agency. Now, on the one hand, it was a great decision. I got Dyson as my first client. Um, and, you know, that's a whole other story, but also I want to share this with you because it's also my biggest regret because my biggest regret in business is that I never set up a sports agency. And the reason I didn't set up a sports agency was because, because of how I'd grown up at that point in time. And at that point in my life, it didn't feel like a, a proper job, a uh, proper career. Mm -hmm. Like it. And I felt like I needed to be validated. Right. So I wasn't secure enough in myself. I wasn't, I didn't have people around me to say, sure, don't be ridiculous. That's a proper career. We'll help you. Well, what do you need? We're here. I just felt like that's not really a proper career. It's not, I want to be financially stable because I'd seen my dad have all the power in a relationship and he took everything away from us. I was like, hell no, that's never going to be me. So I want financial stability and being a sports agent, that kind of seems like, you know, a bit of a joke, right? But deep down, deep down that's what i wanted to do Absolutely. i wanted to right. set up a sports agency and i would have been damn good at it i'm sure with your energy like, definitely. i have no doubt like you know i already knew everyone in the industry as well and i was the only woman mm. and and i made a decision to i think i went the safe route and i set up a pr agency now, now I loved what I did, but it wasn't it wasn't running a sports agency. That's my only regret in business. <laughs> well, we, we live and learn. We live and learn. But now let's take it to present time where you are educating people. You are transforming people. One of the things I love about, um, you know, the stuff you do is you want everyone to be financially uh, capable, stable, uh, able, free, 
which is great. You know, everything you're doing is like, okay, you can make the money. This is how, these are the tools. These are the resources. So tell us about your academy, your, your um, education programs that you provide yep. to people. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for me, it's really important to understand that it's not about where you're at right now today. It's about where you want to be going to and building a really clear path to get you there. And anyone and everyone can do this. It's not rocket science, but it does require consistency, right? You know this, Mike. I know this. It requires First of all, it requires you really wanting it to work. Second, it requires an acknowledgement that this is actually going to require work, right? There is no such thing as a completely free lunch or passive income, right? I know people talk about passive income, but I could rant about that all day long because the reality is I earn what people would consider passive income from multiple different streams, from property, from yeah. a membership, from online courses. However, yeah. let's just take a little reality check. I still had to invest in learning how to create those, buying the property, managing the property, recording the content. I had to invest my time, not just my money. And once I've created those assets, now I can create passive income. So it's never really passive, right? So I think that it'd be much more honest if we talked about semi-passive income. And that is the best type of income. Learn how to create an asset once that you can then make revenue from multiple times. So rather than... In the past, when I ran a PR agency, I'll be charging clients for my time every month. Now I create one program, one product, and I sell it multiple times to multiple people. And I don't have to keep delivering it over and over again. Or I don't have to keep creating it. So I am a very big believer in, in I'm kind of like of the stoic school of business. Yes, it does require work, but it doesn't have to be hard work. You know, let's be honest, you are going to have to put time, effort and probably invest some money into this to make things work. But it shouldn't be too much of any of those things. And the goal, the goal should always be, what are you taking home? Mm. And now my goal is to help as many people as possible take home six figures. Mm. Now, why is this so important? Well, firstly, I've been taking home six figures since I was 21. And, uh, you know, that has enabled me to not just create wealth for myself, but it's enabled me to create generational wealth for my son and for his kids. So when I'm no longer here, what I've created in my lifetime is going to be taking care of my son and his kids. And hopefully by the time I'm done, it'll be taking care of their kids and maybe even their kids too. And this is the only way we change what society looks like, right? Because right now, whether it's your race or your gender, the reality is we are not all born at the same starting line. Some of us have to work harder than others. And there will be plenty of people who've had to work harder than me. As a female coming from a very poor background, I have 100% had it harder than, you know, a middle-class white man. And I'm very vocal about these conversations and if people disagree with me. That's also your prerogative. But I'm talking about lived experience. And I'm sure, Mike, you've got your own lived experience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we should talk about these things. So I want to change that narrative. I want to change the narrative where my son, who's mixed race, so he's, you know, his dad's family's all from Barbados. Right. I'm kind of half Italian, half American, a bit of everything. But he's grown up, he's grown up in a wealthy environment. He's going to grow up super connected. So actually, he's a lot further at the front of the line than I was, right? But he's got friends who just because they look different to him, will be judged differently when they go for job interviews, will be judged differently on all kinds of levels walking into shops. I see it. I see it as they've been growing up. And I speak up about it because to me, financial empowerment, that changes everything, right? 
financial empowerment is empowerment. We have to be financially empowered and we should be teaching our kids this stuff at school. So when I teach people how to make more profit in their business, how to make more money, it's not about just the top line number, how to get to seven figures. I've helped plenty of people get to seven figures. But for me, it's about, I truly believe if I, work, I could work with anyone and show them how to take home six figures. Because yeah. when you take home six figures, what you have is you have a surplus of income for most people, right? So the average cost of living for most families, living an average lifestyle in, in an average city is around 5K a month, right? So if you're taking home 10K a month, after tax, you've got 5k spare. Now, what do you do with that? Well, you could stack it up and invest in property. You could put it into ISAs. You could put it into the stocks and shares. You could go on training courses and teach us. You could create digital assets. The point is you have choice, right? Mm -hmm. With an excess, with a surplus of cash, you have choice. And so my absolute goal is to teach everyone that I can how to take home six figures, not only so they can change their own lives and their own financial futures, but so they can do that for future generations so that your kids and my kids all start at the same place in life. There you go. Shah has said it. Now, if you didn't feel her passion before, you have felt her passion right now because she says, look, if no one, and I love this quote from you, if no one's offering you a seat at the table, build your own and what she's saying is this if you don't know how to build your own because you've been told an old story about go to school get grade a's get a job stay in that job for 50 years if nobody is giving you a seat at the table build your own but you've got to know how to do that and that's why she's passionate about what she does in terms of giving people the education not only education the transformational education which leads to financial success that's what she's saying right here. So it doesn't matter where you've started. If you need support, you need help, Shah is there. So Shah, for those people thinking, oh, it's okay, and you sound very motivational, but you don't know me. I'm working at this company. I'm working nine, 10 hours a day, and uh, I'd love to do what you're saying, but I don't know, I haven't got the time. All right, you ready? Because you better be ready for some tough love. Let me tell you something. I cleaned out hospital toilets as a 14-year-old teenage girl. Mm. I, I worked in McDonald's at Leicester Square frying hamburgers as a vegetarian. Wow. I have juggled, very sadly, my son's dad passed away when he was three and a half. I have juggled being a single mom, running businesses by myself, bringing up my child by myself is about choices. I'm not going to deny there are people listening to this who are working nine to 10 hours a day. However, I'm also going to tell you, if you are spending one hour a day, one hour a week, watching Netflix, scrolling through Instagram endlessly, looking at Facebook, doing anything that isn't working towards your own mental health or your own financial health or that of your families, you have time. We all have time. You know what? That whole story that we've been told that you have to have eight hours sleep a night, that's bullshit too. You don't need eight hours sleep a night. Now, I'm not going to tell you you need five, but I really genuinely believe for a short period of time, we can all function perfectly well on six. Personally, I get by on seven hours sleep every single day. I never get more than seven hours sleep and there is nothing wrong with me. And I know we can tell ourselves stories, but I'm not like that. I need 10 hours. Mm. Start telling yourself a different story. Switch up the narrative. Say to yourself, well, what would happen if I could get by on seven hours sleep? But I tell you what should happen. If you can wake up an hour earlier, what you don't do is you don't go to your phone and check 
social media. You don't go to your phone and start to read emails. You don't go to your phone and send WhatsApp messages. If you carve out an extra hour a day, every single day for the next 90 days, that is a lot of time. You could create a whole entire business. You could learn how to create a digital product. You could learn how to build your email list. You could learn how to start a business, how to grow a business. No one can tell me they don't have an hour a day. No one. Yeah, there you go. While you're on that same subject, I'm sure people listening think, well, if, this, if I was in the same environment as Shah all the time, there's no way I can fail. How important is environment in terms of how that leads to success or failure? What would you say? I would say it's massively important. You know, there's a saying that you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time mm. with. And I know that in the past, I used to listen to that and think, well, is, is that just about like the five richest people, you know? No, it is not about spending time with the five people who make the most money. It's about making sure that you really protect your time and your energy and you're spending it with the people who lift you up, who champion you, but also who challenge you, who every time you've got a great idea, they want to push you further and encourage you to do it, but are also asking those questions not to hold you back not even necessarily to keep you safe, just to be a good sounding board so that you're not just running right with 25 different ideas, which a lot of entrepreneurs are liable to do. For me, my circle has been phenomenal since I was, since I was like in my 20s. My closest friends have been my friends since I was 20, 21, and that's still the case today. Most of us, we all run our own businesses. So we've been through these journeys together. And here's what I would say to those of you who are thinking, Shah, you're so lucky. You're so lucky to have those people. You know what? Yes and no. Yes, I am lucky to have those people. But no, in general, most of you, if you knew how hard my life has been, not just my childhood, but losing my partner, losing my son's dad, the things I've gone through, you would not think I was lucky. It looks like I'm lucky on the surface because that's all you can see right now. So before people think, when we say people are lucky, two things happen. We do them a disservice because we're discrediting all the hard work that they've done. And we're doing ourselves a disservice because mm -hmm. what we're saying is, I'm not that lucky. I'm not capable of doing that. But you are capable of doing that. If you don't have those people in your network right now, you are absolutely capable of finding those people, whether you find them through joining Facebook groups or memberships, or you go to events and you meet them, you have to put yourself out there, right? You have to be actively seeking out people who you can have these conversations with because those people are seeking you out right now. So I don't believe it's about luck. I believe it is about being intentional with how we choose to spend our time and who we choose to spend our time with. And if we need to change up our social circles, it's about being intentional with doing that, which means they're not going to come knocking on your door saying, hey, Matt, you know, I'd love to hang out with you. Like you've got to make some effort. You've got to get out of your house. You've got to go meet people. You've got to join in conversations. You've got to offer support to other people before they're going to start offering you support. Absolutely. I built my I built my network way before anybody knew who I was or before I had any money or before I had an envy or any of that. My network is based from when I actually started out. So that part was luck. It was luck that I was around people at that point in my life that actually all wanted the same goals. And I appreciate that not everybody's able to do that. However, you're all able to go and create it. Which is fantastic. Well said there. And I bet on the journey as well, you've had to let some people go or not spend so much time with certain people because they're not going the same direction as you, right? 
A hundred percent. And the other thing I did really recently, I did a massive curation of my social media. So I went online mm. and I unfollowed a whole bunch of people and I unfollowed them on Facebook. I unfriended them. I went onto Instagram. There's nothing wrong with them, but I want to be careful right, with absolutely. what I am curating in my feed. Mm, mm, I right. only want positivity in my feed. I haven't got any time for negativity. Life is too short, Shah. Your, your, your man is 97 and, 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 and it does affect your mental health. I don't care what anyone says. We've all it does. So why don't we just feed our minds good stuff? Right. Exactly. Here, here. I say that as well. Now, for sure, for those who want to learn more from you or contact you or connect with you because they love your energy, they love what you're all about. What's the best way they can either learn more from you or connect with you? Okay, so the easiest thing you can do is go to my website, shahshaa.com, and you will find everything there. I have a super unusual name, so you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. I'm I'm pretty active on Instagram, a bit less so on Facebook now. And I think if I was to give you one thing that would help you with your business, if you, I, I would say it would be this. What I see so many people desperate to do is free up their time, right? They, they just want to stop trading their time for money. And a lot of people want to build online courses or digital products, but it feels a bit overwhelming and they don't know how, they don't know where to start. So the first thing I would say to you is if that sounds like you, just go to shah.com forward slash pop up as in P-O-P-U-P. Now, right there, you are going to find, I have a super low price, like 47 quid course. And in about 90 minutes, it is going to teach you how to start and how to set up your first digital product. And it honestly will not take you more than half a day to do this, right? So in half a day, you could actually have created, if you give yourself half a day to think about it and map it out and another half a day to create it, and you don't need to be on video, you will have your first digital product created. Now, one of the things that I know about being in business for as long as I have is it is all about momentum. So mm. for me, anything and everything I teach is about simplicity. I want to help you get from A to Z as quickly and as easily as possible. So I think that's probably the best resource because it's going to help you get your very first digital product out there. Wow. And it's going to help you in a way that isn't time consuming. You're not going to feel overwhelmed. It's like, 90 minutes of content you could then just map out a sunday to do it start to finish and you're done well, there you go. once you complete something mac and you know this in your business mm. you create a momentum and with momentum comes confidence and with confidence comes momentum and so we start moving forward but it's that moment when we're stuck in between where we know we want to do something different but we don't know what and we don't know how so we stay stuck and then what happens is that affects our mental state. And now we start thinking we can't do it. But it's not that you can't do it. It's just that you haven't done it yet. There you go. Well said there, Shah. So connect with Shah, shah.com, shah.com forward slash pop up. And I mean, that, that resource there, what you are saying there, I'm going to help you to change your mindset about creating your digital product that's going to make you money. And if you can do it that once, continue repeating it. You're going to make a lot more money. You can listen to the Business Success Show with me, Mac Atram, and the mighty Dynamo Entrepreneur, Shah Wasmond, MBE. So if you like this video, if you like this audio, if you like this podcast, like, share, click the like, sh click share, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. And so we can bring you more awesome experts just like Shah here who can inspire us, Give us some motivation, give some strategies, give some tactics, 
give us all these golden nuggets that can make a difference. So reach out to Shah. Uh, any final last words before we break off here, Shah? Well, just thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I love having these conversations because I think it's, I think we need to grow up having more of these conversations. And I guess I would just end with, you know, when you're on this entrepreneurial journey, nothing is ever straightforward. Nothing is going to be easy. And that's okay. But the one thing that you've got to do is you've got to reach out and you've got to ask for help. Asking for help is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. I love that. I love that. And this day and age where so many people feel stressed, they feel all the uncertainty and all the unpredictability, it, just asking for help means that you actually you're keeping your sanity and someone gives you that information that will help you. So look after each other. And I'll say God bless and thank you for tuning in. Until we speak again, Mac Atram and Shah Wisman, MBE. Bye for now. Take care. Bye.